0: Glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. So, if you got your Bibles, let's uh, let's go to the Old Testament tonight. We're in the New Testament this morning, so let's go to the Old Testament. I think we're going to go to the Book of First Samuel. First Samuel, in Chapter 16. First Samuel, and Chapter 16. going to read a few verses here to you. We're going to begin in verse 1 of 1 Samuel chapter 16. It's very important to bring your Bible to church. Follow along, amen, get used to get used to knowing where the where the uh, books of the Bible are. And uh, I can quote all of the books of the Bible in Spanish. Can you do it in English? Huh? All the books of the Bible in Spanish, amen, Old and New Testament, amen. 1 Samuel chapter 16. Amen. We're going to begin in verse 1. Everyone's ready? Amen. Okay. It says, And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thy horn with oil, and go, and I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons." And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hear of it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take thee an heifer with thee, and say, I am come to sacrifice to the Lord, and call Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will shew thee what thou shalt do. And thou shalt anoint unto me him whom I name unto thee. And Samuel did that which the Lord spake, and came to Bethlehem, The elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Comest thou peaceably? And he said, Peaceably, I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and called them to the sacrifice. And it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Elab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not, on his countenance, nor on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. And so I want to speak to you tonight on the fault of the heart. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your precious word. We ask God that you would uh, take this message, Lord God, and do a work in our hearts. And Thank you, dear God in heaven, for allowing us to be here Thank You for this great church, and thank You for their sacrificial giving, Lord God, to get the gospel to the farthest parts of this planet. Thank You, Lord God, for what You're doing in Chile. Please, Father, continue to use us in a great way to reach many more in the time that we have left. In Jesus Christ's name, Amen. Well, if you think about this chapter here, I I just recently read through all of these books uh, you know, 1st and 2nd Samuel, the kings and chronicles. And, and uh, the Old Testament, I tell you, is such good teaching and preaching out of the Old Testament books. Uh, it's a blessing. Uh, by the time you get to 1st Samuel chapter 16, uh, you're going to find out that the very first king of Israel, uh, Saul, has, has disobeyed God. And, and I mean, in a, in a big way, if you back up to chapter 15, you remember how God had sent them to destroy the Amalekites? And then not only destroy the Malachites, but destroy the king, Agag, amen? And he said, you know, don't take any of the spoils, or just, just, just do what, they're bad people, just get rid of them. And uh, Saul had a problem with obeying God's voice, didn't he? And it got him in trouble. As a matter of fact, it was that point in Saul's life where God, as it were, began to just kind of turn his back on him. Huh? Just kind of turn his back on him And uh, for disobedience. Now, Saul would later on to do other things, very disobedient as well. This is really what got him in trouble, amen? This and going to the witch, amen? But this is really where it all began, where God, God just kind of turned his back on him. And in the very next chapter, chapter 16, in the very beginning of the chapter, God tells Samuel, to take your horn of oil, I've appointed me a king. He's appointed someone that's going to take the place of King Saul. It wouldn't be one of Saul's children. As a matter of fact, they would all die, amen? They would all die with Saul, the king. And so we know the story here, how uh, he goes to Bethlehem and uh, uh, calls uh, Jesse and his sons to the feast. And all of Jesse's sons are there except for the youngest, David. And he's not important. He's the youngest of all of them. He's out on the countryside there. He's out on the hillside there, tending to the herds. Amen? And uh, the very first son that comes before Samuel is probably the biggest and the strongest and maybe the good-looking one and, and and Samuel said this has got to be the one this is the one that the Lord has chosen and the Lord says to Samuel this is not him it's not him don't look on the size of his stature man you know man always looks on the outward appearance but the bible says that God looks on the on the inward you know i can remember all throughout my life, hearing statements like this. Uh, you know, if you're going to do something, do it with all your heart. You ever heard that? Uh, put your back into it, son. Or, or actually, put your heart into it. Amen? Amen. Hey, if you're going to do it, just put your whole heart into it. Because if you don't put your whole heart into it, it's probably just not going to come out very well. You ever heard anybody say, make statements like that? I've heard that ever since I was a little kid. Put your heart into it. Amen? That's kind of what I want to talk about uh, tonight. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, he said that an illustration is like a window that lets the light in. Tonight I'd like to bring an illustration to you that I think will go right along with the thought that I'm going to try to convey to you. If you was to go back to about the year that I was born in 1970, there was a horse born into this world by the name of Secretariat. Secretariat would go on to become a very famous racehorse. My grandparents owned a horse ranch when I was a kid, and uh, they—they've both died off now. They're—they're they're in heaven, but uh, they had a big ranch when I was a kid in North Carolina. We used to go there every summer as a kid, and they had upwards of 50 or 60 horses, Appaloosas. They would—they would have some quarter horses, but mostly Appaloosas, beautiful horses, Appaloosas. And so we all had our own horse up there, you know, it wasn't really ours. We just everybody, all the kids, pick one. This is mine. This is mine. And mine was named Lightning. It was solid white, Appaloosa. And so I've always had a love for horses. And so Secretariat was born in 1970. And if you know anything about Thorbred racehorses, uh, it's the two- and three-year-old colts that run. And so if you used to uh, see like the Kentucky Derby or a big stake race like that, it would usually be three-year-old colts. And so were, Secretariat was a phenomenal horse. And Secretariat would ultimately go down in the history, as one of the ba- best race horses to ever live. Because what made Secretariat so famous, not just the fact that he won the Triple Crown, uh, the Triple Crown is a combination of three different races, the biggest race horses that there is, which would be the Kentucky Derby, the Pirkness Stakes, and the Belmont Stakes. You'd have to win all three of those races to be. Uh, triple crown winner. Now, in the history of horse racing, there's only been 13 in the whole history of horse racing. And the very first one was in uh, 1919, I believe it was, 1919. And then, of course, Secretariat in 1973. So after the one in 1919, there was only 12 other horses that ever won the triple crown. And Secretariat would, be, would become the most famous of all of them. Uh, Secretariat was a two-year-old colt. And uh, the Triple Crown, this three-legged race, as it were, between the Kentucky Derby, the Pyrrhicnes Stakes, and the Belmont Stakes, the Belmont Stakes was the last of the three races. So you had to have won the first two, the Kentucky and then the, the Pyrrhicnes, and the last one would be the Belmont. The Belmont was actually the longest, also, of the three races. It was a one-and-a-half-mile one race. It's a very long, long track, one-and-a-half miles. And so... Uh, 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 secretary would go on to win all three of those races now what made secretary so famous was not just the fact that he won the triple crown but it was how he won it now the belmont was the last race uh, secretary would win that race as one and a half mile race he would win that race in 1973 by 31 horse lengths now, if you know anything about these type of competitive, very competitive races, the horses are normally neck and neck coming in. I mean, sometimes they have to do a, a photo finish to see who won. Do you understand that? And sometimes you'll have one that's a little bit more, but they've never had a winner that was 31 horse lengths in front of the pack, as it were. And so Secretariat would win... Uh, that race, the Belmont, and he would run one and a half miles in two minutes and 24 seconds. Two minutes and 24 seconds, he would run one and a half miles. He would run win that, win that race by 31 horse lengths. That broke the new world record, and to this day, the world record still stands. No other horses ever broke the record that Secretariat would set that day. Now, let me tell you some interesting information about Secretariat. First of all... This is what they wrote about him. And I'm telling you, I mean, in that time period, and many of you weren't born then, I mean, the world come unglued because of this race. This was a famous horse. Now, he's on the face of Time magazine, I mean. I mean. I mean, he broke the world's record. You can go on Google today, and you can punch in Secretary, it's 1973 Belmont race, and they have the actual video. When I prepared this message, I took my laptop in there, I said, baby, look at this. And I put that video on there, and we've watched... That horse, man, and you get emotional. I mean, I said that is an American thoroughbred, amen. And uh, it was powerful. I mean, gripping, and 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 the announcer, and he's talking you through it, and he says he's like a he's like a locomotive. <laughs> it, was, it, was power, it was just so powerful, and so he wins that race. And this is what they said about Secretary in the newspaper. Just several clips that I could find. This is what they said. They said that his tremendous cardiovascular system pumping oxygen oxygen into his lungs at a normal rate was clearly the source of his stamina and power. And then they said this, Secretariat's power came from within. Now let me tell you why they said that. After Secretariat would win that phenomenal race and go down into the history books, uh, Guinness Book of World Records, after that year... He would never run again, but they would they would stud him out for the rest of his life. And uh, Secretary died in 1989. And when they died, they did an autopsy on the horse, and they found exactly what they assumed uh, was the truth: is that he had an abnormal heart. And let me let me tell you that a normal thoroughbred's race heart, uh, racehorse's heart weighs about 8.5 pounds, and they can get up to 9 pounds. That's an average size of a heart for a Thoroughbred, and these are big, massive animals. You understand, if you've ever seen them up close, they're really big horses. About 8 and a half pounds. Uh, Secretariat's heart was 22 pounds. 22 pounds. More than twice the size of a normal heart. And that's why they said his tremendous cardiovascular system. Pumping oxygen into his lungs at an abnormal rate was clearly the source of his stamina and power. Secretariat, after he would win the triple crown, would go on to sire 663 foals. That's a lot of babies, amen? 663 foals. Out of those horses, 341 of them would become champion racehorses, and 57 of them would go on to win state races like the Kentucky Derby. Uh? And that's just his immediate descendants. We're not talking about his, his, his grandbabies and grand grandbabies, amen? And so, what a phenomenal, what a phenomenal horse, amen? And, 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 and he was able to do everything that he did. And that record still stands today because, just simply put, he had a big old heart. You understand that? He had a big old heart. And, and when I think about that and I apply that to missions, or, or when I apply that uh, to, the, to the Christian walk, I mean, or, or our service before the Lord, um, if you've got a big heart for what you're doing, you're just going to do such a better job. You're just going to do such a a much better job if you put your heart into it. I can tell you that when you surrender your life to go to the mission field, first-hand experience. I've seen missionaries go and I've seen missionaries come. I've seen missionaries stay and do great works for God. I've seen missionaries just fiddle their thumbs around for years and seemingly not get a whole lot accomplished. But those that have done the greatest those that have done the most, those that actually reach the people and build churches and build relationships and change lives and change communities are those missionaries that put their heart into it. I mean, I mean, they give everything that they have. It's their life calling as it were. You've got to put your heart into it. You know, even in your service here in this local church, you're going to do such a better job. You're going to be such a better member you're gonna be so much more faithful. To put your heart into it. You normally on a Sunday night like this. You know everybody's not here that was here this morning, right? Everybody didn't come back. It's kind of kind of the cream of the crop, right? Huh? Kind of kind of kind of the ones that are that are that are the the backbone of the ministry. Huh? Yeah. You know why you're here tonight? Put your heart into it. Yeah. That's exactly what you have to do. You young folks. You're just starting out in your life. And, and, and you got so much good that you could do. And you gotta you gotta put a big old heart into it. If if you'll do that, God will use you in ways that you can't even begin to understand. And waves so much more bigger than what He's allowed me and Marta to do. Or any other missionary back there on that on that board. If you, if you put your heart into it. There was a a painter, late 1800s, England area, the days of Spurgeon, uh, I guess when Moody was preaching here in North America as well, in in those days, when the gospel was really strong, amen, and and preaching was going around, and a lot of famous preachers come out of that that time period there. Even many famous preachers that we would recognize their names today, missionaries, amen. And uh, so there was a famous painter, in the England area. And uh, the clergy, religious leadership of England, they came to him and they requested of him that he would paint a master a masterpiece that would dis- be displayed there in England before all of the known world. And uh, it would be something different than what he's used to doing. And... Uh, and so we'll give you the title of the painting at a, a specific date. You're going to paint the masterpiece. And he was a very well-known painter. And then at a specific date, we're going to have a, a big giant unveiling of the masterpiece. And so the day came, he found out what the, the topic was, what he had to paint. And he had to paint a painting by hand of a dead church. That's what he had to paint. That was the masterpiece that he had to paint. He had to paint a big... And back then, we were big paintings. <laughs> we were bigger than this projector screen. And the painting that you paint, we're going to have a big meeting and everybody that somebody's going to be there. Political people, religious people, churches, everybody's going to come and they're going to see your masterpiece. Very well-known painter. And we want you to paint a, paint a, paint a picture of a dead church. We want you to express to all of them what a dead church looks like, and they left him with that. And he he contemplated that for weeks, maybe even months, of what he would say on that campus, on that canvas, what he would paint, how 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 he could describe to the hundreds and maybe thousands of people that would be there, of what that dead church would actually look like. And he contemplated for a long time. And one day, he picked up his paintbrush and he began to paint the masterpiece. And he painted and he painted and he painted and he painted. And he didn't stop until he was done. He had painted it. And so the day came and uh, there was a big crowd. I mean, it seemed like all of London had, turn, had turned out. I mean, this guy was well known, he was in all the papers. The religious hierarchy, the leadership, right up to the to the king, the queen. I mean, that the, everybody was turned out, and the painting was up on this big giant platform, much much bigger than this, and it was veiled, and everybody was there, and uh, they were all chattering and chit chat, and and uh, when the the painter, who was of course well known to everybody, come up onto the stage. A quietness came across the masses of people that were there. A silence. As he reached up and he grabbed a hold of that cloth that covered the face of the masterpiece, he took one last look back at all the people and it it was just a silence across the crowd as he pulled that cloth off of the masterpiece of a dead church. And you could not hear a pin drop as thousands of people looked in awe at the masterpiece. And this is what they saw. They saw the inside of a church that you could not believe. It was so beautiful. And it was so elegant. And it was lit up. And it had a high ceiling ceiling. There must have been two or three thousand people packed inside this facility, and they were all upper middle class, wealthy folks, and they were they were decked out in nice clothing. You know how the ladies should wear them old funny hats back in the days, you know, and they and all the kids, were, and they were so happy, and they were running down the aisles like this here. And, oh yeah, and they were talking, and the men and their and their and their and their coats, and there was chandeliers in that place. You would not believe. You should have seen the platform, with, with the pulpit. I mean, it was like some type of a mahogany. It, it was like the, the feet. It was like it had lion's paws on the, on the pulpit down there. It was a beautiful facility. I mean, it was a, It was it was such an incredible painting. The, the people's faces, and they were so happy and joyful. And it was packed out, and they were decked out. I mean, in top of the line clothing of that day. And the people just stared. And they didn't understand the painting. Someone hollers out from the congregation, We, we thought they told, you that they told you to paint a picture of a dead church. Because the dead church looked nothing like they had thought about in their minds. And he said, Oh, I did. And he took them, he took his finger into the painting, this side of the, of the pulpit, over back behind the piano, grand piano, by the way, big, beautiful grand piano. There was a box on the wall about like this. And it had written on it, missions. And it had a little slit in the top where you put your, your money in and it was all covered over with cobwebs. And what the painter was trying to say to all of England is that a dead church is a church that does not have a heart for missions. That, my folks, is the gospel truth. That when we lose our heart for missions we become a dead church. I can tell you the truth that the Lord has allowed Bart and I to start two very successful churches. And they both own their own property. What makes these two churches so significant is that we started missions from day one. And ever since then, they've grown in their missions program and in their missions budget A church that loses sight of reaching the world outside of their community is a church that begins to be what we would call dead. So whatever you're going to do for God, you've got to put all your heart into it. You know, God wants your heart. And He doesn't just want to share your heart with the world or with other things. No, God wants all of your heart. If you put your heart into it, He'll use you in ways that you can't even begin to imagine or begin to understand. Trust me when I tell you it's all about the heart. Yeah. You can be flashy. You can be a big shot. You can have all the finances in the world. But if it's not, it's not real, it's not in your heart, you're not going to do a very good job. And if the people see that your heart's not there, they'll never follow you. And if they don't follow you, you're never going to build a big work for God. Simply put, tonight I would just ask you, where's your heart at? What kind of condition is your heart in? Do you have a big old heart like Secretariat? Are you going to go down in God's history book? Hmm? Are you going to go down in God's history book? Pray you will. Is this church going to go on to the rapture of the church? Huh? Is it going to go on doing something for God? It will if its people has a big, giant heart for missions. I know that you can't do everything, but you know what? Everybody can do something. Amen. Amen. Everybody can do something. There's not a reason in the world why everybody in this church can't do something in the area of missions. And many people, let's just be honest, many people can do more than what they think. Yeah. It requires a little word that's very difficult to implement in our lives. And it's the word sacrifice. Yeah. People don't want to sacrifice. But did Jesus not sacrifice for us when He bore our sins on the cross of Calvary? What kind of heart do you have for God's work tonight? And I know that I'm preaching to the, to the choir tonight. Amen? I know that. But our hearts very easily can get cold, yes, sir. can get numb, can even step out into the world and get carnal. We've got to control our hearts. Amen? And continue to grow our hearts. Amen? So that we can be the right type of servant and be used of God in these last days. Jesus is coming. Friends, he, He's about to step out on a cloud. We don't have a lot of time left. Amen. We've got to be busy about the work of God. And your work, this work, will do so much better if you have a big old heart. Amen. 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 So my prayer for you, Bonners Ferry Baptist Church, Martin and I are fixing to leave to go back to the field. We may not see you for another 12 years. Amen? We, we may not see you until we see you in heaven. Amen? I want to get up to heaven and say, man, that church had a big old heart for missions. Amen? And I just believe if you have a big old heart for missions, that God will honor that. Amen? He will. Mm-hmm.